Good morning, everybody. Wherever you are today, whatever you're wearing, pajamas, whatever it is, I hope you know that uh, we're with you, that God is with you, and that we're going to get through this time together. Um, if you don't know me, I'm Eric. I'm the lead pastor here at The Story, and this is all very unprecedented. This is our third week now of doing online-only worship, and my goodness, I miss you guys, and I know everybody here does. It's me and nine others here today. We're not breaking any rules. Uh, we are uh, trying to abide by these, um, you know, flatten the curve rules to try and uh, stave this, uh, this season off, but it's really good to have you all here with us. Thank you for joining us online. We have some really special things happening today, including what you just heard. Uh, that song by uh, Nathan Bonus just now is an original. It's uh, going to be the worship, the story worship group's fifth original song, and I can't wait uh, to hear everybody singing that song together in this room again one day. It will happen. Keep the faith. Keep hoping and believing we're going to get through this season of quarantine together, and I hope y'all don't get too accustomed <laughs> to worshiping in your pajamas at home because we will be gathering again here one day, uh, so y'all don't get too comfy where you're at. Um, I know it's kind of nice while it lasts, but listen, uh, I know it's a stressful season. I know a lot of anxieties are running high. We've got people in the medical community from nurses and doctors and um, in the scientific community, as well as pharmacists and, and all the techs, uh, the pharmacy techs and medical techs that are, that are just really um, just trying to white knuckle through the season. And I want you all to know that our hearts are with you. And if, um, if you're not one of those folks, I hope you're joining me in prayer for those folks during this season, because uh, we need to come together as a people to make sure we, uh, we get through this uh, as best we can by the grace of God. So um, we are here today to worship God, and we're here to start a new sermon series as well. Uh, it is a series called After. It is all about the afterlife, heaven, hell, and everything in between. I am super excited to get this series started. Just for clarity's sake, I want to let you know that we planned this series a long time ago, not when this apocalyptic crisis came upon us. So we don't want to heighten anyone's anxieties by saying, uh, now's the time to think about the afterlife. We were planning to do this forever, and uh, we're just carrying this through. Um, before we get into it, I want to invite you to um, consider giving to the, the story online. Uh, we're not doing um, in-person worship or in-person offering for a while, and so if you feel so inclined to support the story's mission and um, ministries online financially, we would love that, and thank you so much in advance. I know it's a tough time for everyone. Just visit thestory.church slash donate uh, for a safe and easy way to do that. It means the world to us that you'd support us and our ministries, our families' ministries together in, in, in this way. So thank you. A special uh, little treat today is our guest speaker. Um, his name is John Burke. He is the pastor of Gateway Church in Austin. He is also the author of best-selling book, New York Times bestseller, um, Imagine Heaven. It is a book that is uh, about all of his research on near-death experiences, and it speaks directly to some of the things we're going to be talking about in um, this series for the next seven weeks. You may have heard John Burke on the Maybe God podcast, if you listen to our podcast, um, uh, in, in the episodes called Our Near-Death Experiences for Real in season two of the podcast. If you haven't heard these episodes, I cannot encourage you strongly enough, once this worship service ends, go to maybegodpod.com and check out these episodes, Our Near-Death Experiences for Real. John Burke blew my mind, and I know he's blown many others as well. So many skeptics have come to me and said, you know, uh, I normally don't pay any attention to that kind of thing, but that stuff, that guy, he really made me think. 
He really made me ask like deeper existential spiritual questions. And that's really why we're spending seven weeks on this topic of heaven, hell, life beyond death, what we have to hope for and hope in. Uh, That's why we're doing this. And I want to encourage you now more than ever, because it's more important now than ever that we stay connected. I want to encourage you to connect to a group. You can go to our website, thestory.church, and on the homepage, you'll find information on how to get connected to one of our groups. All of our discipleship groups have moved online, so we're doing them, they're Zoom-based or some other platform, most of them are Zoom-based, and we're going to be following the same curriculum together as we grow together. We are the first church in Houston that's going to be following this curriculum that John Burke and his team in Austin put together. It's video-based, it's um, really deep and profound, but it's also really accessible. Churches all over Austin, hundreds of churches around Austin are doing this now, and we're joining with them through this next season for the next um, couple of months, really, on this uh, topic of uh, the afterlife. So I hope you will go to our website, thestory.church, and get connected. All right, before we get into today's message, uh, I wanted to share a little bit of a, of a Zoom conversation that I had with John this week as we were kind of getting him ready, getting him prepared for um, sharing a message with us this week. We were planning and things, and, and uh, this just will help you get to know John a little bit better. So um, this is the Zoom conversation that he and I had this week. We were supposed to have you come and preach live at the story this Sunday. And man, I've been looking yeah, forward to so that bummed. for months. I'm bummed too, but I know God's up to something. And God is showing <laughs> us, you know, he's showing us something with this uh, crisis. And it's not to say that he, he brought it on us or whatever. I don't know. Uh, that's above my pay grade. But yeah. he's showing us something through this. And I think he's showing us, um, you know, what really matters in life and what questions we, we should be asking. Um, I, I wish we could have you in person, but uh, by video we'll have to do. But why do you think this? Um, why do you think this topic right now in this moment in history is more important than ever before, perhaps in our lifetime? Uh, I think people are feeling so vulnerable. You know, we're, we're realizing. I mean, in 11 weeks, one guy gets a virus and it shuts the whole world down. Amazing. Literally, and I think it just reminds us. It kind of shakes us awake. Like, oh yeah, this life is vulnerable. People are afraid, uh, I think, of the unknown. I think they're realizing things that can happen that are out of their control. Um, we like to believe we're in control, even though we're not in control of much at all. Right. Um, but that's where this is so hopeful, I think, because, you know, it's not, it's not about death. It's about life. Yeah. Right? It, it's right. about the fact that life goes on and it's so much better. And that actually gives a perspective to this life that helps us have hope and peace, even in the midst of coronavirus fears. Yeah. Uh, you know, the people have this life review and they see that what life is really all about. And okay. the reality that the same God of light and love uh, is showing up to people all around the globe and, uh, and he's for them. He's not against them. Wow. What do you say to folks that say, you know, if we focus too much on the afterlife, we won't take good enough care of, of life here on this earth during a crisis like this? What does the Christian view of afterlife say about the value of life here? Well, it's interesting. You know, Colossians 3.1 says, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Uh, set your mind on, on things above because your life is hidden there in Christ. Wow. And uh, for those who have trusted him, I think what that the reason for that is because it changes the way we live now. It changes the way you're willing to let go of things that you can't really hold on to anyway. 
when they get taken from you as the stock market tumbles or, <laughs> you know, or health issues or scares, it, it changes the way you are willing to sacrifice for others. It, right. it changes the way you realize how serious God is about the, the, the smallest act of kindness he really sees and it counts and he's using it, this ripple effect that goes throughout humanity. So it gives purpose to everything uh, right. that we do in this life. All right, so um, it really broke our hearts that we couldn't have John here in person. That was the plan for months to have him here on this day in house to speak live to us. And so we had to put our heads together and figure out the best way to get you his content, his, his message uh, to start off this series. And so the best way that we came up with to do that is to share parts of a message that he preached with his home church in Austin a few months ago to kick off their series in Austin. And it is so profoundly good. It is so good. You're going to get so much out of it. And we've chopped it up a little bit. So I'm going to be coming back periodically throughout the message to share some of my thoughts and questions and things. And um, you're going to get the heart of his message, though. And, and his message really began with his personal testimony. John hasn't always been a Christian. And his story of how he came to faith in Jesus is so compelling. You're going to hear that in the clip um, we're about to show you right now. It was decades ago, my dad was dying of cancer. I was an agnostic. I didn't believe in God or Jesus or any of that. And someone gave my dad the very first study on what's been called near-death experiences. When someone's heart stops, their, their brain waves cease in many cases, they're clinically dead, and yet modern medicine resuscitates them. And they come back talking about a life to come that they say is more real than this life. And you, and, and you may not realize it, but it's actually more common than we realize. The Gallup poll found that 13 million Americans, one out of 25, has had one of these experiences. So I pick up the book that night, you know, and because my dad was dying, I read it. And I said, oh my gosh, this God, heaven stuff may be real. You know, here is, here's credible scientific evidence that this could be real. And the next year, I actually got into a small group Bible study, kind of like our life groups that we have here at Gateway, and started to learn uh, about what God's revealed through the Bible, through Jesus, and I came to faith. And since then, I, I went from a career in engineering to seminary, but I've also, over the last 30 years, studied over a thousand of these near-death experiences. And I wrote the book, Imagine Heaven, to show how the commonalities of what people say all across the globe they, they relate directly to what God's been revealing through the Bible all along. To give us a hope that there is so much more to come. Because that changes how we live, how we love, how we go through difficulties here in this life. Well, today I want to give you just a little taste of, of uh, this conversation to come. You know, I, I interviewed uh, or researched over a thousand people. Very credible people. You're going to hear from today a doctor, a a commercial airline pilot, a, a, a pastor, um, bank presidents, you know, college professors. People who have nothing to gain making up crazy wild stories. It actually hurts their career. And yet they say it happened and it was more real than anything they experienced here. Listen to Dr. Mary Neal's story. Dr. Mary Neal is an orthopedic surgeon who shares her medical practice and her love for outdoor adventure with her husband, Bill. In 1999, they planned an adventure that took Mary on a spiritual journey few have taken and returned to talk about. 
My husband and I really enjoy kayaking. We enjoy traveling. We speak Spanish. We've traveled internationally a number of times. And so for my husband's birthday, I said, okay, this is the year we're, we're gonna do it. So we went to Chile for a vacation to kayak. After a week of kayaking, Bill sat out the final day with a sore back. Mary and the rest of their group kayaked through a treacherous stretch of the river. These are drops of 10 to 15 feet, 20 feet maybe, which for an experienced kayaker is not a crazy thing. I went over the main drop and as I crested over the drop, I could see the tremendous turbulence and tremendous volume. And as I hit the bottom of the drop, the front end of my boat became pinned. I and my boat were immediately and completely submerged. I was absolutely pressed to the front deck of the boat. And I couldn't move my arms even back far enough to reach my spray skirt, let alone push myself out. I very sincerely asked that God's will be done. And I meant it. After several minutes of searching, the group leaders realized Mary was trapped under the falls. They came out on the rocks and they kept trying to get to the boat, but the force and the volume of the water was such that they just kept being flushed through. I mean, they just couldn't get to me. At one point, they sort of recognized that it was really turning into body recovery, uh, not so much of a rescue. I know I've been underwater too long to be alive, yet I feel more alive than I've ever felt. And this is more real than anything I've ever experienced. And Mary was actually dead for 30 minutes, according to her friends. And yet she said she felt more alive than she's ever felt. She said she rose up out of the water. She was watching the resuscitation while she was greeted uh, by, by a group of people. And when this happens, when people die, they commonly say this, that they leave their body, but they're still in the vicinity. Uh, they're out of their body, but they have a spiritual body. And, and not with five senses, more like with 50 senses. What we find is that this life is the reduced reality that we were created for. And they talk about how they're able to describe the resuscitation many times. And that's what actually convinced so many skeptical doctors uh, that I've put here in this book. Like I interviewed a cardiologist, Dr. Michael Sabum, who told me that uh, he didn't think there was such a thing as near-death experiences when he first heard about it. And he actually set out on what turned out to be a five-year study to disprove them. But he changed his mind. He said, I didn't believe there was such a thing about a near-death experience until I started asking some of my patients. Pete told me he had left his body during his first cardiac arrest and had watched me resuscitate him. When I asked him to tell me exactly what he saw, he described the resuscitation with such detail and accuracy, I could have later used the tape to teach physicians, Sabum told me. These people, like Pete Morton, saw details of the resuscitation they could not otherwise have seen. One patient noticed the physician who failed to wear scuffs over his white patent leather shoes during open heart surgery. In many cases, I was able to confirm the patient's testimony with medical records. Sabum changed his mind, and he ends up writing an article in the Journal of the American Medical Association showing what changed his mind that there actually is life after death. 
Dr. Uh, Jeff Long is a radiation oncologist who read uh, Sabum's findings in the Journal of the American Medical Association, said that's bogus. But then he started doing his own independent research, asking people as well. And Dr. Long, by the way, is going to be a part of our citywide conversation. Um, he, like myself, has become a believer uh, as a result of all this. But here's what Dr. Long said after studying thousands himself. He said, by studying thousands of detailed accounts. Is that up there? Can you put that up there? There you go. By studying thousands of detailed accounts of NDEers, or near-death experiencers, I found the evidence that led to this astounding conclusion. NDEs provide such powerful scientific evidence, it's reasonable to accept the existence of an afterlife. So, full disclosure right here at this moment in the message, um, I remember driving to Austin with the Maybe God podcast team to interview John Burke and telling them how deeply skeptical I was about near-death experiences. I almost expected to go there and debunk his whole theory about near-death experiences. I just kind of chalked it up to the same kind of um, conspiracy theory phenomenon that you see, um, you know, when someone's in their backyard in a bathrobe telling you about the flying saucer they saw in the sky. Um, but there are so many of these stories, and John's research was so compelling. And not just his research from the, the individual stories, and there are dozens of them that are just amazing, but he also gets into the Bible, and he talks about the biblical breadcrumbs that God leaves in his word for us that, that help us to see that so many of these stories aren't uh, just conjecture. They're not just made up. It's, it's for us that they are sent back to tell their stories, to testify to us, to remind us that there's more that we are to be living for. There, there's more that we have to, to hope for. And so uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing once you wrap your head around it. In this next clip, uh, John Burke talks about some of the breadcrumbs God leaves in the Bible, in his word, um, in, in this clip. And it actually lines up with what God's been telling us all along. In fact, the Apostle Paul, who wrote a good chunk of the New Testament, I believe had one of these near-death experiences. In Acts chapter 14, um, it says that, that it seems like Paul had one of these when he got stoned in Lystra. Stoned to death. Not, not stoned like in Austin. Stoned. So I always have to clarify that here. Look at what it says in Acts chapter 14. They stoned Paul dragged him out of town thinking he was dead, but the believers gathered around him, and then he got up and went back into the town. Personally, I wouldn't go back into the town when they just stoned me to death, but Paul did. But then later, Paul says, writes this, and I think about this experience. In 2 Corinthians 12, he says, talking to himself, I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Why didn't he know? Well, because we still have a body. We're still ourselves. He says, only God knows, but I know I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding, cannot be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to tell. Paul goes on and talks in 1 Corinthians 15 about how our bodies, he says, are buried in brokenness, but they'll be raised in glory. They're buried in weakness, they're raised in strength and power. They're buried natural human bodies, but they're raised spiritual bodies. And this is exactly what people say all over the globe. You're still yourself. In fact, you're more yourself. You've never been so much yourself. But with a body that has new abilities, eyesight that can see telescopically, communication that's pure and perfect, movement like 
you've never experienced. Can be slow, can be in an instant. See, this life is just a shadow of the life we were created for. And they talk about how the beauty of earth is, is not unlike the beauty of heaven, but the beauty of heaven is experienced in new dimensions of time and space. So that's another commonality is people all around the globe experience this beauty in new dimensions. So many of these people, after they observe their body, like Dr. Neal said, then they, they take off. And some talk about going through a tunnel, some down a pathway, but they end up in a place often of exquisite beauty. It's like what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, 9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. You know, if there's one commonality that people come back from these experiences saying, it's that God is love and love is what it's all about. We were meant to love one another, not just during this life, but forever. You know, Jesus said that to his friends, the, the, his last night on earth. In John 14, he said, there's more than enough room in my father's home. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And he said, it's going to be eating and drinking and work and play. It's, it's life. Marv Besteman, who's a bank president, um, died and was resuscitated in a hospital. He recalls how a welcoming party uh, came to meet him, consisting of friends and relatives. He said, both of my friends were prayer warriors. We'd spent many hours praying together. I'm not sure if that's why God chose these guys for me to see. They were significant to me in my spiritual life. Everyone I saw had been influential in shaping my life in some way. And this is another commonality that people, uh, they, they experience a kind of a welcoming party of friends and relatives. One woman who died giving childbirth said, I recognized my grandmother and a girl I had known when I was in school and many relatives and friends. It was a very happy occasion. I felt they had come to protect or to guide me. It was like they were welcoming me home. Now, word of warning here, because Dr. Neal also says that they were there, this welcoming committee, to protect. And I think that's important because I started to hear this in my research more and more. And it's important to realize that People in these experiences are just getting a peek into a vast world. And we shouldn't, we shouldn't come up with our idea of what happens in the afterlife just from these alone. Because they're only seeing just a little peek. They're not seeing the whole thing. It's kind of like Mount Rushmore. You know, everybody's used to seeing this side of Mount Rushmore. But there's another side of Mount Rushmore. <laughs> not so pretty, is it? But one of the commonalities that I discovered uh, of these people is that there was a border or a boundary that they said they knew they couldn't cross and still come back to this life. And I discovered that's an interpretive key. Because just because an experience starts well doesn't mean that's where it ends up. And there is a border or boundary between what is truly eternal life. So this is somewhere in between. I think that's why people still have a choice to make even in this in-between, as we'll see. But what that means is we shouldn't, we shouldn't come up with our view of eternity and the afterlife based on these experiences. In fact, I'm skeptical of any one of these experiences. It's the commonalities of thousands that point to what the scriptures have been telling us. And that's what we can trust in for our bigger view of what's to come. John features um, stories 
that are just dozens of stories that are so breathtaking and so compelling in his book, and even more in the, the materials we're going to be studying online together in our discipleship groups online over the next seven weeks. Um, you know, it's not all pretty. It's not all rainbows and daisies when we talk about afterlife and near-death experiences and heaven and hell. There, there is this other side of the story that we have to tell, and there is so much to say. So many misunderstandings about hell abound in the church, and I get so many questions just from people wondering, should I be afraid? Like, is God angry? Does he really condemn so many people? There's such a, a better way of looking at this part of the conversation that I think is so important. And the stories that John tells, are, it, it, they, are, they are so helpful to that end. I've never heard a more compelling account of a, a hellacious experience or, or even hell itself than the stories that Howard Storm told on our podcast at Maybe God or um, in John's book. In this part of the sermon that you're about to hear from John, uh, Howard actually joins the sermon to tell his story. Y'all check this out. It's so compelling. Now, this life review uh, is, is also common across the globe, and nothing makes a bigger impact on people. They come back knowing that God is love and how we treat each other is what matters most. It's exactly what Jesus told us in, in Matthew 10, 26. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. In uh, 1 Corinthians 4, it says, Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness. He will expose the motives of the heart. And at that time, each will receive their praise from God. And let me just point that out. Each will receive their praise from God. You know, we think about this life review and many of us get terrified. But God wants to reward you. See, heaven is not based on our works. It's based on whether we put our trust in God. Whether we love God by accepting what he's done. But he wants to take everything you've done, all those good deeds, and show you the impact and reward you for them. See, it's not too late for any of us. God is a God of the second chance. That's why he sent Jesus. He's a God of forgiveness. He's paid for all our wrongs. And no one loves you more. But don't reject his love. Because if you don't want God, he'll give you what you want. In fact, Howard Storm is a tenured college professor and an atheist. His duodenum ruptured when he was doing uh, tours uh, in, of art museums in Paris. After nine hours of not being able to get a surgeon... He dies. And he thought death was just lights out. There was nothing. So he was confused. He didn't even realize at first that he was dead because he's standing there in the room and he feels more alive than he's ever felt before. And there's this nice group of people welcoming him, saying, Howard, come with us. We're going to help you. Now, if everything had stopped right there, Howard, this atheist, would have said, hey, it's all good, right? But it didn't stop right there. These nice people end up leading him into this outer darkness, which Jesus also warns us about, and turn on him, and it's like the worst prison scene imaginable. And by the way, 23% of near-death experiencers talk about having a hellish experience. So we can't discount that. Now, because Howard had not crossed that border or a boundary into eternity yet, I think that's why he was able to cry out to God. And Howard, in this horrible predicament, remembers a song when someone took him to Sunday school as a kid. Jesus loves me, this I know. And suddenly he wanted that to be true with all his heart. 
and he cries out, Jesus, save me. And this tenured college atheist professor says that into this outer darkness comes a light brighter than the sun. Arms reach out, pick him up, hold him like a baby, take him out of there. And then in the presence of angels, Jesus gives Howard a life review. Listen to how Howard and Mary describe their life review. Howard, tell us about this life review that you had. There was a number of angels, I call them angels, who had been recording my entire life, all my life, and Jesus wanted them to play out in chronological order the scenes of my life. And the entire emphasis was on my interaction with other people, of course, initially starting out with my mother and father and my sisters and then, you know, school and friends and um, So you just, you saw it or you We saw it, experienced we felt it. it, we experienced it. It was really interesting because it was, um, the whole emphasis was on people and not on things. Matter of fact, there were some instances where um, I had uh, won promotions, honors, awards, and they skipped them. And Jesus, I said to Jesus, uh, you're skipping the most important thing in my life. This is what I live for to get this award, Kentucky Artist of the Year. Big banquet in my honor and a big cash prize and everything. And uh, he said, that's not what we're here for you to see. That's not important. What I want you to see is how you treated the students. So what I learned in my life review was that um, the um, relationship with my father, I had participated in the breakdown of that relationship as much as he did. He was not a good father to me, and I resented it, and I was angry at him, so I did everything I could subconsciously and sometimes consciously to be as rebellious and as cold-hearted towards him as possible, which only aggravated him more and made him more of a hostile father. So the things that I had seen in my life that were I was the victim and everybody else was the bad guy, I came to find out. Um, it was a two-way street. We were both playing this game. As my life progressed from my adolescence into my adulthood, I saw myself turning completely away from God, church, all that, and becoming um, a person who decided that life was all about um, the biggest, baddest bear in the woods wins. And now I began to experience Jesus and the angels' literal pain. What do you mean? Emotional pain with watching scenes in my life. And like, here's the nicest, kindest, most loving being I've ever met, who I realize is my Lord, my Savior, even my Creator, holding me and supporting me, trying to um, give me more understanding of my life. And it was figuratively, not literally, like I was like stabbing him in the heart as we're watching this stuff. And the last thing I wanted to do was to hurt him. And I don't want to hurt him to this day. Uh, Jesus is a very feeling man. God is a very feeling creator. We did go through a life review and it was nothing like I would have imagined. What, what my, was the life review like? My life was laid bare for all its good and bad. And one of the things we did was look at many, many, many events throughout my life that I would have otherwise called terrible or horrible or sad or bad or tragic. And instead of looking at an event in isolation or looking at how it impacted me and my little world, I had the most remarkable experience of seeing the ripple effects of the event when seen 25, 30, 35 times removed. 
know, Captain Dale Black is a commercial airline pilot, uh, flew 17,000 hours all around the globe. At one point, he had a, a plane crash. No one survived. But he came back to talk about his experience of seeing Jesus face to face. And you know, he's, he's got a PhD in aeronautical engineering, yet I've never talked to him once about this experience with him being able to hold it together. Because another commonality is that these experiences are more real than any memory you've ever had, and the memory doesn't fade. But listen to what he talks about of being in the presence of God. Did you, did you see Jesus? Later, I did. That was the last thing that happened after going through the city and asking questions and going through at the very last moment, I had been ushered closer and closer toward the light, toward the light, toward the light. The light that's in the center, center of the city. Yeah, and then there was a stairway that was near the glass sea, which it looked like a sea, and a stairway that went up, and a large angel with the most uh, power, if we would say that, and it was clear that he was basically in charge of that stairway. And uh, I be just began to communicate uh, to this angel heart to heart. Again, it's hard to say, did we talk? It seemed like it, but then it seemed like we didn't. This communication was, was just impeccably pure. And I began to recognize, I can't go up there. I can't go up. I, I can't go up and still go back. And I was thinking, go back, go back, what, what, what do we mean, what's that mean? And as soon as I'm thinking, go back, the angel moved just to the side. But I looked into the eyes of the warmest, kindness, most wonderful. I knew this was the Son of God. I knew this was my Savior. And all of a sudden, my knees buckled, my legs lost their strength. And I just went down. I couldn't stand. Mm -hmm. I, was, I was not worthy to... I was not worthy to stand in His presence. Funny that I didn't feel worthy to be in heaven, yet I knew I was worthy in the early part. I was somehow given this, granted this authority, but I had this supernatural uh, gift that I was worthy. Somebody had done something for me. He had. Yes. And so I'm down on my, just falling down, and I see his feet, and I grab them, and I hold his feet, and I see the scars. And I know this is the Son of God. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. It is because of him. He died for everybody. It's so cool because the Bible even says, no, I just take that back. Jesus said, that uh, I have come not to condemn the world, but that the world through me will be saved. And it was because of that. He was, he's not condemning anybody. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life, what sins you've done, including murder. It doesn't matter what you've done. All of it is, is forgivable. God can forgive anybody of anything and then we have this free gift that we call salvation. You and I know about it. And that's it. what you felt and at that's his of feet. Course, like. I just, but to describe this experience, I just stopped at his feet and, and I was 
worshiping him in down on the ground there. And I heard the voice, Dale, do you love me? <laughs> That's it. Do you love me? Mm. And I'm trying to think of all these words to say. And I'm getting ready to say, in a sense, I'm getting ready to say, but I've said nothing. And I'm getting ready to say, of course I love you, Lord. I remember who you are, what you do. I'm getting ready to say that. And he bends down and whispers into my ear. And I'm now back. Do you love me? It's really the only thing God wants from you. To know, do, do you love him? What he did for you and for me and for everyone through Jesus to show how much he loves us. Heaven's a free gift for anybody who wants it, but he doesn't make us love him. He doesn't make us trust him. But you know, if you haven't, you can today, and you can know that you're right with God forever. I just want to, just for a moment, speak to you where you're at. And I hope you've been able to absorb this message that John Burke has given us today. Because seasons like the one we're in are critical to our growth as believers, or even if you're a skeptic, it's critical in a season like this to be shaken loose of the norms, the things that we always live for that just leave us feeling empty, and so we just go constantly searching to fill our cup with the stuff that never fulfills us. So if that's you, and if this season of the COVID-19 spread and the scare that came along with it has done something to you, or if this service today has shaken something in you, the, the songs that we've sung and the words that John has shared with us, if something is happening in you, I don't want you to just chalk it up to quarantine craziness. Like, you're not crazy. Like, you can take it on faith that right now, your Father in heaven who loves you is the one who's speaking to you, beckoning you, and calling you. And if you've never had a supernatural experience like the ones John described today, let the stories you've heard speak to you and testify to you that these are real, that God is real, and he's left these breadcrumbs along the trail so that we'll find our way to him because all that matters in this life, all that matters is that we love him. And that's all he wants. Not a perfect track record, not a room full on Sunday mornings. Obviously, what he wants is your heart. And no matter where you are right now, you can give that to him. And so don't let the moment pass. Don't shy away. Don't cower. Don't chalk it up to quarantine. It's, it's real. It's now. It's you. It's God. And so lean into it instead of away from it. And say yes to it instead of, no, maybe not later. Say yes to your Father who loves you now, and He will make His vision and His will and His purpose for your life clearer and clearer when you trust Him. I know it's odd to say this, and I, I don't mean to say that COVID-19 and all this is God's will for the earth. I, I'm, I'm not qualified to speak to that, but, but I do believe that there are hidden blessings in this season as our veneer is just stripped away, as all the fake stuff, all the masks we wear, everything is gone and we're all in the same boat together. 
with less to do with our time, I believe this moment can be a silver lining for your soul where you reflect on all that matters, God's love for you and your love for him. You don't have to become religious or a church member or anything. All you've got to do is say, God, I think I love you for this creation that surrounds me, for the people who care for me, for all your many blessings, for your presence in my heart. I love you. That's the first step. You can take it now. I love you, Father. Would you pray with me? God, I, I pray with my brothers and sisters across this city and wherever they're found throughout the world, tuning in at the same time online, we pray with one heart bound by your spirit that your will would be made known in this crisis and through it that we would see you and our purpose and what really matters more clearly. Even as, Father, our hearts break for those who are struggling and suffering the most, for first responders and healthcare workers of all kinds, for those who have the sickness, this virus, and those uh, whose loved ones are sick or, or are already gone, Father, we pray a prayer of lament for them. Come, Lord Jesus, heal us. Physically, spiritually, heal us. Make us one again. Father, we pray that eyes are open today and hearts are receptive to the deeper truth that you want to show to us right now, to each one of us. And I pray that there are people right now tuning in from their couches or porches or wherever saying, I love you, God. I love you. I don't know what it means yet, but I love you. We know that's all you want and require from us. We thank you, Father, for all your many blessings and gifts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.